I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here and first and foremost I hope you're keeping well physically, mentally, spiritually. If you're feeling a bit down about lockdown 2.0 or just a bit off generally, firstly you have every right and reason to be and secondly Here's the thing, we will have sport to watch this time, and for those of us both listening to and presenting this podcast at least, it shouldn't be underestimated how much that's going to help in the six or so weeks ahead. There will almost certainly be a lot of rugby, and joining me to discuss all of that is Murray Kinsler of the 42.ie. How are you, Chief? I'm great. It was a sweet, sweet relief to know that we'll have the Six Nations for the next couple of weekends and then hopefully All Nations Cup all going well. So yeah, a, a pretty crap week for everyone, but some good rugby to look forward to and, and to enjoy over the next few weekends. More good news. We're delighted to be joined as well, as always, by Bernard Jackman. Birch, how is your head? How is your heart? How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Uh, yeah, m- I'm much better prepared this time for, for lockdown. Not, things don't really change uh, too much from my day-to-day. Um, no coaching in Bechtel, unfortunately, but um, hopefully after six weeks we can get back and, and get some of the season, or all the season hopefully, um, finished. But uh, yeah, all good. Looking forward to, to Ireland, to the Bledisloe Cup, to uh, some Pro 14 and some Top 14 this weekend. So spoiled for choice. Spoiled for choice indeed. We're going to chat largely today about Ireland's team to play Italy. The implications, if any, ahead of the most likely pivotal rendezvous, pivotal even rendezvous with France in Paris. And we're going to field some of your questions as we go. Then we're going to get out of here so Murray and I can prepare for our live Zoom event later on with Ian Keatley, Neve Briggs and Andrew Trimble. I think due to demand, we've upgraded our Zoom capacity for that one. So if you're interested, head over to the 42 and pencil yourself in for a spot on the call. Absolutely free of charge. Uh, if you're just on the 42 app, scroll down a few articles in the rugby category and you'll see it there. Now, gents, a bit of breaking news to start today's podcast. Dan Levy back in action. Bernard, this is... Uh, some good news uh, at a time when I think all Irish rugby fans and people generally needed it. I'm not sure how much it's going to affect the well-being of the country, but certainly for those of us listening and talking here, uh, just marvellous to see him back in action. Yeah, it's brilliant. And apparently he was very close to being ready um, at the end of August when the, when rugby resumed. But I think it's, you know, it, it's the correct thing to do to, to, to be patient and Leinster have been patient and just having him on the bench tomorrow, he can... You know, come in and ease his way into the game and, and test himself out. I'm sure he's gone through all the return to play protocols, done all the the contact work, etc. So I'm, I'm sure he's um, you know feeling good. But look at when you come back from an injury like that. Uh, no matter what prep you've done, there's that um, there's those butterflies in your stomach, and, and you just want to get out in the field and get your first carrier hit. So uh, big boost for. For Ireland, um, I think you know, uh, for, not potentially for this for this block, but next year's Six Nations. Um, if Levy can get back to to his top form, he will add to uh, to Ireland's chances. And and also, even though Leinster have a lot of really good back rows, um, having him back gives Leo Cullen another selection headache. Certainly does. Murray, it was interesting during the week to read Robin McBride's comments. He mentioned that Levy had had a bumpy journey back to nearly full fitness uh, which is completely understandable it's been 18 months they're bound to be setbacks uh, but I remember talking to our colleague Sean Farrell about it and we thought maybe that there was a hint of another setback there or, or perhaps it was going to take a little bit longer than had been flagged in the summer for Levy to return to first team action so this is a, a pleasant surprise for me and I think a pleasant surprise for a lot of Leinster and Ireland fans Um as Bernard says, like you know, it's going to take a while to regain that kind of sharpness and that form that he created uh, 18 months ago and beyond that. But it's a decent fixture as well for him to come back in um, and just cut his teeth a little bit. Uh, Leinster are going to win that game, undoubtedly. So for him to get even 15, 20 minutes and just get the, the wheels turning again, um, it's, it's a really good opportunity for him. Absolutely. It's the perfect chance for it. And everyone's going to be waiting for that moment when he gets onto the pitch. It's a pity there won't be a crowd there to welcome him on, but I'm sure people will be applauding from home. As you say, it's been an incredibly long journey back, 18 months since that Ulster quarterfinal. And a horrific injury. Anyone who saw the video will still wince at the memory of it. So complex and 
it took a lot of work, but as Bernard said, it's absolutely right to to be uh, erring on the side of caution with it and, and get him fully right before he's back. I, I just can't wait to see the guy play again. What a brilliant rugby player. Think of him in 2018. World class, you know, dominating big test matches against England. Skillful for Leinster. He's got offloads. He can run brilliant lines. He's a savage competitor and brings aggression and leadership. And And everyone's going to feed off that. Leinster players are going to feed off him being back, his energy, his desire to get back to where he was. So loads to look forward to. He's wearing the 23 shirt and, and he'll get on, as you say, in, in the second half there. A pretty exciting Leinster team with lots of youngsters, even with all the guys away in Ireland International Camp. As always, Leinster have uh, pretty good depth and and Levy is just one part of, of an exciting match day squad. So really looking forward. I'm, I'm heading over to RDS for, for that one and I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely delighted for him. Now, gents, Bernard, any gripes with Ireland's team to play Italy? Anything you would have liked to see Andy Farrell do differently? No, I'm pretty happy with it, to be honest. Um, I think uh, yeah, I think it looks better, you know, now on paper. Now he's finalised it than maybe I um, had feared for with a couple of injuries and suspensions. Um, I like the look of the locks. I think Tyburn, um, you know, will, will give, us, uh, give us plenty there, particularly... Particularly in the game against Italy, which will probably be probably high tempo. You know, Italy like, like to play. Um, or will want to play, and and uh, you know, you'd like to believe Ireland will try and expand um, their their game plan, their focus. We certainly saw elements of that. Um, you know, against Scotland in, in the first round, and then uh, you know, obviously when we got match for power a little bit, we we went back into our shelves. But uh, I think there is, uh, I suppose, a keenness there to. To, to develop our attacking game and I think Tyburn gives us um, you know a, a really good probably a back row player in the front five uh, in that in that aspect but against Italy that won't be a problem and uh, yeah I like to look at him obviously I'd say Callagher you know would have been maybe a starter if he had been fit but he's not but um, no gripes big pressure on the on the scrum um, you know to for Porter and Keane Healy to get into I suppose John Fogarty um mindset and, and, and scrum the Irish way and hopefully that can give us some quality ball to play off and, and Hugo Keenan uh, the back three looks really good I mean I think Stockdale I've been critical of him but I thought his game against the Ospreys um, was a huge step up uh, and I, I am excited to see him play full back I know Andy Farrell has spoke around um, getting you know getting him on the ball more and, and obviously as a left foot option um, and that's key for Ireland I mean Ireland had become one dimensional or two-dimensional, sorry, in her kicking. It was very much Murray Sexton um, and the odd-time ring rows, but predominantly Murray Sexton. And I think having a, a left foot of fullback um, it makes it so much easier to have a, a three-way axis of... Uh, of good kickers in, in, in your in your general play. And I think that will open up more opportunities for Ireland or either to run or kick. Murray, we're going to go in, get into all of the positions and some of the more difficult decisions at those positions as well for Farrell. Naturally enough, people have bones of contention. Um, it's kind of always the case. We're, we're going to get into some of it, but just to get your overall sense of the team, firstly, what were your impressions of it? Yeah, it certainly looks a lot different to what we were at at the start of this year, which feels like a lifetime ago. The Six Nations before it was postponed. And I think this is the ideal fixture really f- to, to acknowledge that fact because if they're going into the France game this weekend I think you might be a little bit worried um, it's it's ideal chance for people to get combinations going again to get a bit of confidence in hopefully rack up a, a decent win um, but they are missing quite a few key figures Tyke Furlong's not there you know Dave Kilcoyne's not available Henderson Ryan Baird probably would have featured um, Earls and Larmer missing in the back three so there are a few guys removed um, not by choice you know Andy Farrell probably would have picked a lot of those that I've just mentioned um, but at the same time it is exciting his hand's been forced a little bit but it does feel like a different Ireland team it feels like a dynamic skillful team with some of those traits that Burns mentioned as well as having real jackal threats all across the pitch I think defensively it's going to be really interesting to watch how the likes of Will Connors making his debut, chopping guys, then Burn and Stander over the ball as well um, and the guys who are getting their opportunities like Connors like Hugo Keenan, um, they've earned their their chances. So really exciting um, in that sense. But I think looking forward maybe to the France game, you think, okay, they could miss a few of those frontliners. We're going to hear from Brian O'Driscoll as well shortly about what he would like to see from Ireland uh, over the course of the autumn. But just sticking with the team for now and getting into those um, areas of the pitch where 
some selections were naturally contentious or, or maybe on a knife edge as they were made. I'm going to start with a, a members question from Ian. He's in the 42 members WhatsApp group, members.the42.ie, if you want to join the good people in there. And I'll throw it at you, Bernard, for starters. It's a, a well-worn topic at this point, but it has reared its head again in that Peter Romani has, has been selected in the matchday squad ahead of Josh van der Fleer. Um, Ian says, is Omani really worth having on the bench ahead of the likes of van der Fleer and Conan? Curious to hear what sort of an impact it's envis- envisaged he'll have in the last quarter. Bernard, is he there as an impact sub or is he there more so as nearly injury cover uh, circumstantially when you look at this squad yeah I don't I don't think he's there as an impact uh, sub to be honest he's not your stereotypical impact player um, I think he just potentially gives you more cover jo- Josh is an out and out um, out and out seven and you know Peter can can play six or seven at a push um, and obviously if the line out was going badly um, from a defensive point of view Peter would would add to add to that Um uh, so I think he probably has a little a few more string to his bows to his bow as a as a bench option. Um, if someone like Levy was available, you know, who can play um, six or seven or eight, you know, and has probably more impact qualities in him, then um, it probably becomes a, a different conversation. But yeah, I, I can see the uh, the thought process behind that. Um, yeah, and it's Josh is always going to be unlikely to be on the bench to be honest, unless you go unless you go six two split. The the thing gap as well is just in, in terms of that question, like there are different ways to impact a game as well. Um like we always think of the ball carrying, uh, potentially a bit of footwork, and and that's what we see as impact off the bench. But I mean it's quite clear. I mean, Joe Schmidt saw it differently. He'd have likes of Devin Toner and now Andy Farrell as well, with Peter Romani coming off the bench, um, offering probably a different skill set. He's not a big ball carrier, he's not dynamic in that sense. But as Bernard mentioned, he has that line out skill. He works hard around the breakdown. He's an influential figure with players around him. Um, and he did make a really good impact off the bench in the Scotland game at the very start of the Six Nations. Obviously, he was dropped for that fixture. Doris got injured earlier on and he made a big impact off the bench, um, albeit very early in the game, almost as a starter. Uh, listen, his form hasn't been spectacular recently and he's coming off the back of a, a really poor performance, I thought, in that game where he's red-carded. Um, just didn't deliver for his team when they when they needed to and, and left him in a tough position. So he knows he's under pressure. Um, I think Josh van der Fleer is unlucky to miss out. He does add so much energy off the bench, but I wouldn't be surprised if van der Fleer features next weekend in Paris. It'll be really fascinating to see or or to know really if, if Farrell views this back row that's starting this weekend as the one that potentially will start in France because you could make an argument for van der Fleer suiting that game, even for Omani with his line-out ability suiting that game as a starter, and potentially even Jack Conan, his dynamism featuring as well. So that's kind of simmering away in the background. But Connors is the one who gets his chance first up to show that um, he can adapt to test rugby and, and offer an option potentially to chop down a few of those French players as well. It's an important point as well, Bernard, I think. Um, the fact that this is Italy we're talking about, it, it might be, to Farrell's mind, somewhat of a something of an experimental lineup just because this is the 23 that he selected doesn't mean it's necessarily his first choice 23 he'll have all sorts of different combinations in mind presumably for Paris as Murray says van der Fleer could like van der Fleer could conceivably start in Paris we don't know um so maybe some of the people kind of losing their minds uh in the 42 comments section and other uh, such forums would want to chill out a bit like because it's not sort of the be-all and end-all necessarily uh, for players to be selected to start against Italy or not included at all. We'll, we'll get to scrum half in a moment, for example. Like Kieran Marmion is probably the, the form scrum half in the country. He's not featuring this weekend either. So, like, is there potentially maybe a bit of an overreaction when we see a selection for this game when you consider the opposition? Yeah, look, I think when he's looking at this game and selection, he, he knows they're you know ninety nine percent sure that they 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 should win um and that can maybe have a slight slight impact in in a selection but I don't I think he has a strong eye on on it, on France I mean there's big pressure on to um to do well in, in these two games to uh you know in, they still believe they have a cracking chance of winning the Six Nations so and I don't see given the fact they've had you know a long break apart um you know normally in six nations you've had november together um you know you've had a chance to potentially try some different combinations i think the majority of this team will 
will be in his plan for for France. And yeah, sure, you could go with Josh Van der Fleer instead of Will Connor. Um, but in in general, I think a lot of the combinations are as he wants to or as he sees um, it likely to be next week. And and because you always, after this, then you have you know even November to. Um, to play around a little bit and start to develop more depth or, or try different combinations. But I yeah, I disagree with you slightly on that. I, I'd say, you know, I'd say thirteen or thirteen of the of the fifteen in his mind will, will play next week. Interesting. One more in the back row here from Paddy and under another the forty two member and Paddy says, if Ireland are trying to play a more expansive game, focus less on one-out runners, do you need more of a footballing seven? Is being a dominant chop tackler enough? Personally, I've never been a fan of the Dan Lydiate, Joe Worsley model of back row. I'll throw that one to you, Murray. Yeah, well, I think the thing we need to be conscious of is not pigeonholing Will Connors in that sense. Um, I think there is more to his game and, and we probably haven't seen a lot of it or focused on a lot of it. It's only been in glimpses. He, he's obviously not the bulkiest ball carrier but he does have good feet and he can offload and even last time he played for Leinster I actually didn't share the clip I, I clipped it to share on Twitter but he, he showed a bit of footwork and an offload and you saw a glimpse and from what I understand coaches who've worked with him believe there's there's more of that to come from him um, and Farrell, Andy Farrell mentioned that yesterday they want to see those things from him obviously having an outstanding defensive quality is brilliant and we shouldn't underestimate the defensive side of the game it's it's half of the game and, and being good at defending is is really important but you've got to bring a, a more rounded game and Farrell's going to challenge Connors to do so to use his feet to get to arms rather than run into shoulders and to use his handling ability which from from what I can see is there as well so yeah yeah you have to have more to your game um and I think Connors will be really keen to show that side of it as well can I just come in on that I think just Murray yeah it's a point it's a it's an area we haven't seen from him in playing for Leinster but definitely when I've seen him play for UCD and in Clongos um players who've played with him and what I've seen him is he's incredibly sk- skillful. Um, I just think when he's come into Leinster, the balance they have in the back row with with Conan and Doris or Deegan and and Doris, um, there's already a lot a lot of ball carriers in the back row plus um, in your front five. So he's just got on with doing uh, what we've seen him do and what he's built a reputation as. But I, I I agree. I think we haven't seen a lot of it, but it's definitely there. And but actually. To such an extent that some of the people I've spoken to said he's one of the most skillful players they've ever tr- played with. So um, wow. we could be about to um, see a completely new side of him, and and you know if he can bring the same level of of quality to to his attack as he as we've seen in defence. I mean, yeah, he, he's going to be something else. That's class to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> Look at looking at halfbacks then, um, and and chatting about scrum half to begin with. Again, I sort of. Sometimes the whole Omani Murray thing, it becomes almost the same conversation. Uh, naturally enough, I guess people are, are a little bit pissed off to see Connor Murray starting based on his form. Um, bearing in mind what Bernard said there, Murray, about uh, the likelihood that Andy Farrell actually is looking at most of these combinations, most of these players as having a, a pivotal role to play in Paris. Is this him saying then that Murray is his guy for now? Is there a chance that Murray, if he was below par this weekend, could play his way out of the team uh, and what was your overall impression of the scrum half situation when you consider Marmion isn't there albeit Gibson Park is I said earlier Marmion is a form scrum half in the country Gibson Park is right up there with him really Yeah I 100% agree with Bernard in that, in that aspect I think this is the starting halfback pairing for Paris probably starting centre pairing and if the back three goes well there's there's probably not as much reason to change that the back row is one place I probably do see a potential for for change there Murray and Sexton I think he wants to get that combination going again a really well worn combination and I know yeah you're right people are I think they're just sick of it really in, in a way I think Conor Murray's form since the restart has, has been pretty good he's obviously not where he was in 2018 we've talked about this he was exceptional then as were the team around him and, and made his life much easier and he was able to be at his best but uh, from what I've seen since the restart, he's he's been in pretty decent shape. Um, I think we overstate, I've said this before, I think we probably over-focus and overstate the errors or or the poor bits he does um, around the pitch. Like they are, they do exist there 
Um, and he's making errors and, and every player does, but we probably over-focus on them at times. He's still doing lots of good stuff. Obviously, the box kicking in Munster just wrecks people's heads, but that is part of their plan as well. And he's uh, adhering to that in, in many aspects as well. There's definitely bits he can really improve on. Um, Brian O'Driscoll mentioned it during the week about getting more out of his decision-making around the ruck. Like he's not really a threat there at all anymore when he was a, a major threat and a major try scorer for Ireland at their best. He's a he's a big guy, obviously. He's got good skill set and, and I think he can offer more in that in that aspect of the game. Um, his kicking, obviously, is a strength when it when it's at its best and, and I think he's still a, a pretty decent passer, albeit he could possibly speed it up a slight bit at times, but that's more the decision-making, I think, and, and not overthinking things at times um, just uh, putting pressure on his on his decision making I suppose so yeah I, I, did, I actually as we discussed before I, I thought they might use it as an opportunity to give someone else a game there to maybe um, I suppose encourage a better performance and response out of Murray but if you're going to be going to Paris trying to win a championship then it probably makes sense to have your combination particularly at halfback having a game under their belts Hmm, that's an interesting point there, Bernard, about Murray, uh, like actually having some decent form coming into this game. Perception becomes reality, we know, and there probably has been a narrative surrounding Murray for good reason, in fairness, over the last 18 months that he hasn't been the same player that he once was in 2018. But maybe that has stuck to the point that actually some of his good performances now aren't really uh, given their due plaudits and there might be an impression um, that some people have whereby he's just perpetually now not the same player that he was. If, in fairness, he's not, but he is performing very capably uh, still at the highest club level. Like, Do you agree with Murray there about about Murray's merit uh, in starting at the moment? Yeah, look, I think he, he hasn't been as bad as um, as maybe the perception is but I also think that, you know, we're right to expect more from him. And um, I think this is a great opportunity for him. Farrell has given him um, the benefit of the doubt. He's he's shown loyalty to him. And, um, you know, it's it really is time for him to start taking games by the scruff of the neck and not just be... At the moment, I think he's just doing doing things, you know, at, at a decent level. Um, and I think so. his form at the moment is, you know, a European Cup quality player. Whereas we know he's an international player and a top class international player, so that's what um, hopefully he'll show. Uh, I think you know there's probably a little bit more competition in Munster for his place. There's more competition in Ireland now with with as you said, Marmion and, and Gibson Park being in good form. So be really interesting to see if he can just pick it up again and and um, you know get back. And very few top world class players like Connor go through their whole career without. A little bit of a dip, and and some of it can be down to fatigue, um, some of it can be down to carrying injuries and playing with injuries, and and um, some of it can be down to the the way the team are going, and and certainly Munster, the way they're playing at the moment doesn't really give them a huge amount of opportunities to um, to snipe or to make breaks or to um, really, I suppose, impose themselves. So will this new Ireland uh, style of play, you know? Uh, suit him and will that open up more opportunities for him to to start to have you know little moments where he you know he, he starts to have bigger impacts in the game so I, I you know I'm, I'm fascinated to see how he reacts to it but I don't think I think if he's really poor over the next two weeks you know then we have to see a change um, uh, in November What do you make of the Marmion situation then Bernard is it just a simple case of him being unfortunate in not making the matchday squad or is there a chance that perhaps he could come onto the bench in Paris over Gibson Park and this weekend is more about giving Gibson Park a few minutes in in green Yeah I wouldn't be 100% sure that Gibson Park is ahead of Marmion but I do think it's a great opportunity for him to get his his first cap and and to feel really integrated and part of of the Irish squad so yeah that's one of the ones where you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a change next week because both players off the bench kind of give you similar qualities and uh, are both in form. And uh, I think it is the right thing to do to um, to blood some players and give four new caps against against Italy. Murray moving out out to well, moving further outfield. Then looking at centre pairing, it kind of picks itself at the moment, doesn't it? Like we knew, really, given the form that. Bundyaki was bringing into this rescheduled Six Nations conclusion that he had to be the guy really over Henshaw and Ringrose is probably one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment. 
I reckon probably a future Ireland captain, to be totally honest. So um, I guess to, to look at it from the context of this being a bit of a turnaround for Aki in that for quite a while he was playing second fiddle to Henshaw. I know there was a little bit of rotation and maybe one would capitalise upon the other being out through injury. But it does seem now that Aki is, for the moment at least, the guy at 12. Yeah, his form has been brilliant and obviously Fizzy he looks in the best shape of his career. Trained pretty hard during lockdown and he's certainly pretty hard to stop when he gets a, a head of steam up now. I think this is, yeah, this is very much what people expected and Aki and Ringrose are, are the form picks. Henshaw has been playing well as well for Leinster. He looks sharp um, and he looks to be trying to add to that kicking game and, and push more of that. So it's not like he's playing bad rugby, but I don't think many people can argue with Aki Ringrose. That, that's the one that makes sense and should be pretty balanced. You're always going to try and get the best at Aki in a the, the sense of the passing game. Ireland are trying to play with more wit and he'll have to have that role as a as a passer at times. His decision-making maybe in that area hasn't always been 100% spot on, but he certainly can do it. Um, and I'll ally that to the physical prowess he brings, the energy he brings um, and the influence he has on others around him. Uh, as you say, Ringrow is a class act and for me, probably one of the first names on the team sheet. So it, it makes sense that pairing. Um, I suppose the back three was the one where we weren't quite sure how it was going to go exactly, how it was going to line up, who would be in which jersey even. Um, but it's pretty interesting the way Farrell's gone. Yeah, talk to me about the, about the back three, Bernard. Like, we've been fairly critical, I, I would say f- fairly as in in its literal sense, um, of Jacob Stockdale. He gets the nod at 15. We know what he can do when he's on song. Uh, he hasn't so much been on song really in recent months, apart from a, a few games here and there. I, I thought his performance in the Pro 14 final is a little bit underrated. I, like I think at least he, he played really hard, albeit he didn't make too many inroads on that day. Um, but were you surprised to see him get that vote of confidence from Farrell at 15? Um, it's kind of a little bit but like Connor. I think, you know, he is... Uh, he's a player that Farrell obviously wants to be able to use over the next uh, World Cup cycle a lot, try and nurse him back into form. Um, there's been elements of, of his play for Ulster at fullback, which has been you know really exciting. And then there's been elements of, of, of his general play um, that have been worrying. And, and like I think it's really important just to state, well, like when I criticised him for the Toulouse game, I wasn't really, I don't really care about the missed tackles uh uh, against Kobe uh, and I think Kobe can beat anybody it was more his reaction to that and his general play um, and skill level and urgency uh, which which scared me a little bit and that's that's the challenge for him I actually think to be honest um, a big question marks over the last year and a half around him has been his, his positional play defensively particularly covering kick space and I actually think ironically being fullback would help him on that the way Ireland defend so the difference between how Ireland defend and how uh, Ulster and Leinster defend with their wingers is um, when you play for your province traditionally in Ireland uh, the majority of provinces defend like this uh, and I and because of that the wingers is that they only defend what's in front of them so most teams will have their 15 and 10 in the backfield and the wings will defend what's in front of them whereas for Ireland they have an, there's an onus on him to cover behind him as well. And I think that's where he's been um, found out a little bit, where he hasn't pr- kind of, I suppose, uh, anticipated what's going to happen uh, and fall back into the backfield quickly enough or over, makes poor reads going forward again. Um, so I think having him in the backfield and planted there with Sexton um, as early as possible in transition and the way Johnny will tell him where to be um, will actually make it a lot easier for him. And hopefully then with that with that lack of, of stress or worry, he can just concentrate on the positives he can bring, which is obviously um, his ability to beat people, his power and pace, etc. So I am I can see the sense to it um, and it could be something really exciting uh, for us, you know, with, with Jordan being out and no one really nailing down the, the fullback position. I know I agree that Shane Daly looks, you know, really... Uh, exciting player Hugo Keenan looks really exciting but in terms of proven international quality um, in the back three to to, base, to basically you know be our 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 uh, first choice fullback for the next four or five years you know probably Stockdale has the qualities to do that particularly again with his with his kicking game which we've seen in terms of being able to to chip and chase but uh, hopefully it's a lot more well-equipped than that and, and we can use that more. So I think it's the right call. And, and, and again, 
that's one of the ones where if it goes badly, you know, you can put him on the wing next week, left wing against France, and and um, you don't lose too much. What are your thoughts on that, Murray? Stockdale being unleashed, freed from his inhibitions at full back. Um, and also, I think one area, like aside from his chip and chase, where he has improved are contestables when he's going forward. He's a, he, he's quite disruptive. I think we saw it in the Edinburgh away game, Pro 14 semi-final, how effective he can be and just being a nuisance up there. Albeit that probably comes with a caveat in that when the ball is coming back in the opposite direction, I think he can be gotten at as well, if you know what I mean. So it, maybe it's a, on a knife edge a little bit that way. Yeah, I think it's exciting. Like he's he's got all the ability, he's got all the athletic prowess. He's six four, he's strong, he's powerful, he's quick. He can run through tackles, he can burn people, he can, as you say, leap and gather ball. And he's got the frame to smash people in the tackle, which is why you want to see. You want to see a, re- a nice aggressive streak from him. I, I agree with Bernard. The the concerning thing in the Toulouse thing was just the application. It was interesting during the week to talk to him about 15 or 11, and he said he feels that when he's at fullback, there's more of a challenge to really concentrate for for the entire 80 minutes where he said he felt on the left wing you could maybe um, have moments to process information which I don't know maybe hints at, at some of the stuff Bernard was talking about but it is good that he feels at 15 he's going to be fully tuned in and alert and engaged at all times because you would just hope that Farrell and the coach are filling him with confidence and belief of what he can do sending him clips of what he's done for Ireland against the All Blacks in his what 16 test tries and 28 starts um, which is a, a really strong record, even if it has dr- slightly dried up since 2018. Um, and we've seen that even in the Ospreys game, when he gets a sliver of space, what he can do, he can offload as well. He can pass. Andy Farrell spoke yesterday about him having a bit more vision than we might all be aware of because he doesn't get to use that on, on the wing and he's got a more defined role there. So I think it's really exciting. And and you just hope that he can get to his confidence best, confident best, and be really tuned in and aggressive all the time because if he does, he, he can just be a, a world-class player. Yeah, it is probably the right fixture as well for it to click back into gear for him in an Irish jersey. Murray, do you want to introduce us, throw us forward to your interview with Brian O'Driscoll from during the week? Yeah, I had a good chat um, about Ireland, maybe more in a, a tactical sense, what he's hoping to see attack-wise, um, and a little bit about Sexton as well and, and the reliance Ireland have had on him and, and whether others are there to, to take a bit of pressure off. The chat was, it was a Guinness-sponsored event. Um, they were announcing a partnership with Canterbury, Intersport Elveries and the RFU in support of the sale of the new Ireland women's rugby jersey, which was also really positive and, and brilliant to see. That's on sale um, on Elveries and Guinness Web Store and the Guinness Open Gate Brewery. So, yeah, had a chat a bit about that and also a little bit at the end about um, drop goals and, and the absence of them in the last few weeks. Of course you want good performances, but um, would you forgo good performances with, with wins, with two wins, irrespective of, of the the points involved, you, you probably would, but in a perfect world, definitely a, a good performance, a good initial performance against, um, against Italy, ideally you know, picking up five points and putting themselves in a position to win the Six Nations going over to France the following week. Um, and then a, a really good performance that hopefully looks after the result in France if it doesn't so be it but stepping stones to something to look forward to in the Six Nations next year as well so um, yeah I, I think we've it feels like an, anything that we saw against Wales in the in the first game of the Six Nations something like that I think would be a, a really good step forward it just feels as though that was that showed great promise and then we just haven't reached those heights since in the, in the in the two subsequent games yeah, like it is a small sample base for the Andy Farrell, Mike Cash era, but mm. what were the signs of promise that you saw in those early games before Twickenham? I think they played with really great wit. Um, I think, um, you know, they understood the, the balance between being direct and, and when to go wide. Um, I think small little... Um, small little nuanced plays that we hadn't seen before. I think we, you know, we associated power plays um, and and little kind of clever um, not not seen before plays with Joe Schmidt, whereas it was good to see Andy Farrell having the 
the knowledge of, of how to manipulate defenses, how to set them up to think you're doing one thing and then counter it with an alternative. Um, I think having multiple viable options is, is the key. And I think you have to be careful with how many options you have with certain personnel. But the evolution, the ideal situation is to be able to have you know, lots of guys in key decision-making with having multiple options and being able to you know, decide on them with hundreds of, a se- hundreds of a seconds and pick the right option more often than not. Yeah, that's really interesting. You, you, you focus on those little plays and, and things because towards the end of the Joe Schmidt area, it was almost like we were talking down on, on play like that or pre-prescribed mm. things that you've worked hard on. How, how important are they? But I think that that was more that became more of a set piece focus, and I think the issue was with Joe was that teams started leaving Ireland's leaving the rook for the first four phases, um, not going after it because they knew that there was a power play coming, someone a strike runner, so a setup of two or three phases to then try and catch team on the fourth phase. Whereas side then realised if they just left the rook, let Ireland have the ball. Uh, tried to you know make a, a positive tackle and then got back on their feet and got as many bodies in the defensive line that when that strike play came they could mop it up and then Ireland ran out of ideas in their phase play thereafter. Whereas I think you know in the, certainly in that that Wales game that it was less of a you know a four phase um, power play focus. Whereas you're happy to play eight nine fa- nine ten phase, but on sometimes on the eleventh phase you f- you f- you find one of those nuances that manipulates the defence to be able to create space in in another part of the field. Um, and a, a good example is right up at the at the try line where ordinarily teams would be hammering away and you know might get a bit of white line fever. Whereas, you know, set up to as if you're going to set up a little mall or crash another player in and then just soft hands out the back to then, you know, and someone else running a short line, pull the defense in and then, you know, Johnny being able to ghost in for, for his score. So those little things where previously you might have done things one way, you've got to show that picture and then deliver something different because teams now are analyzed to death. You've got to be able to show a similar setup, but then have multiple options off that to keep the opposition guessing. Yeah, and that, that seems to be all the chat from Farrell and his players at the moment. Caelan Doris talking about playing heads up rugby. That's what they're aspiring to. In your experience playing with guys and now watching, analysing them, how comfortable are Irish players beyond maybe Johnny Sexton with that decision making, with that heads up style? Um, I think you're, you're talking about probably one of the best at it in, in Johnny. So, you know, is, is anybody else quite at that level? I, I don't think so. Not quite at Johnny's standard, but there's, there's other guy. I think Connor is someone that can pick, can pick the right pass, no doubt, and pull the trigger, even though he doesn't find himself in those circumstances to have to decide that sort of situation very often and more often than not happens further out from 10, the 10 channel further out to 12 and 13. Um, has Gary the capacity to see multiple options? Absolutely. Um, I, I think he, he backs his own ability so much and he's shown that he's, you know, he's been a bit of a try machine in the last while that sometimes he'll go to carry himself maybe rather than, try the, the miracle play, which is, the, which is the right thing to do, but also he's had huge success with that. Um, outside of that, I think there's, there's guys are developing. I think Harry Byrne has the potential to do that um, going forward. Um, I, think, I think not to the same degree as, as Johnny at the moment, but I, I think we are talking about a, a unique ball player in, in him. So that, that's, that's not a slight on the other players. I think we're just very fortuitous to have someone that's capable of being the ultimate quarterback of picking the pass at the very last second. Um, but even if you can have guys that are capable of picking a couple of options, and I'm not just talking about backs, I'm talking about forwards with their tip-ons, with balls out the back, of actually playing heads up and looking at the, the setup of the defense, even watching hips and shoulders as to what way they're, if they're square, if they're turned out, and then as a result being able to pick the right option of hitting someone short when hip, hips are turned out or when they're square, you know, to continue to square them up and pull that ball out the back to the to to the um, to the outside back. Those are all small little modifications that we need to continue to work towards creating space for other people. So, 
Um, I think we're getting there, um, but it, it, it'll be a con, you know, continual progression. Yeah, absolutely. It was really interesting to hear George Ford during lockdown. He was on um, the Magic Academy podcast and he was talking about the Six Nations game in Twickenham earlier this year saying they felt that just get Johnny Sexton and, and you'll shut Ireland down. Has it, has it been too easy, do you think, for, for opposition in that regard? I think Saracens think that as well, with, have always thought that with, with Johnny, that if you can get him, and I think England think likewise, if you can get Johnny on the ground and complaining to the referee, they think that the job is half done. And I think lots of sides around the world think that too, that he's the linchpin of, of making Ireland tick. And I think it's hard to argue with that, even though he hasn't maybe been at his best either since you know his, his phenomenal year, 2018. He still has had these games where he still looked brilliant again. And then maybe the fall off has been more extreme than we would ordinarily associate with him. Um, so I think there's maybe a bit, there's something in that where if you can shut him down, because if you look at any of the other tens that have come in, they haven't been able to step up to it. Um, Joey showed potential to do that, but when we know about his injury, um, you know, um, disappointment and uh, ongoing disappointments. Um, you know, Ross Byrne you know, had a tough time of it in Twickenham. You know, Jack Carty just didn't look at the races of the World Cup either. So I think you've got guys that, um, when Johnny hasn't been there, haven't been able to quite do what we expect of our outside half now. And, um, and I think, yes, the time is probably now. Or is Johnny going to make it to the 2023 World Cup? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, so we do need to look at, at alternative options, no doubt, because having a reliance on him is not a smart play. He's 35 years of age. Um, he is continuing to be targeted, but he does remain our best choice at, at out half at the moment for me. And um, yeah, I, I, I think we need to look at trying to bring through another player. And I think that for me, the obvious option there is to invest in Harry Byrne because I think he's the one that shows the most potential to be capable of doing what Johnny does. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out over, over autumn. Um, Johnny Sexton, not afraid of hitting a drop goal. I hope you'll uh, indulge me this question. <laughs> We've watched the last couple of weekends just to finish. Um, Racing didn't hit one. The All Blacks, the Wallabies didn't want one in that let us slow game. You've hit a few in your time, I know. <laughs> were, you, uh, <laughs> were you bemoaning the, the non-drop goal events last few weeks? Yeah, I have. Um, I was <laughs> pulling my hair out at um, what well, a boat. You know, I only subsequently saw the um, the Australia New Zealand game, and like, there's there's a bit of history with, particularly with New Zealand not loving a drop goal. I think we've got a distorted view of drop goal because of um, Dan Carter's one in the Rugby World Cup final in 2015 was such a peach. But there's there's you know few and far between in New Zealand rugby. It's just not in their um, in their makeup to go for three pointers when there's five on offer. Um, but sometimes, you know, if you overplay your hand, eventually the opposition will get a turnover or that there will be an unforced error or there'll be a forced error. So that's what you look at Johnny Sexton. The reason that he hit the drop goal from that far out is because they'd gone through 20 plus phases and knew that there was an error coming with exhausted bodies, with how much work they'd had to do to even get to that position. Um, that he said, you have to, you know, he thought you have to fire a shot. And, and I thought, whatever, you know, about the Australian-New Zealand game, I just thought, how have Racing not fired? Like, they're under the posts. And the frustrating thing was Finn didn't really offer it in the pocket there. Like, it, that, you're up to, it's up to Machino then to go and find them. And, and, he, and he can choose that. But also, what, what that also does is it softens up the fringes. Because if you have someone in the backfield, you know, ready to knock a drop goal over, you've got guys thinking in and around the rook thinking about charging that down. You might suck them in offside. You can then still go to a short runner because someone has eyes out the back and might you know, get a soft shoulder. So to not even offer it, I think, makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, I think it you – know, well, it's subsequently will, you know – uh, Racing will look back on that and really rue um, that, that missed opportunity because that was the game for them. You know, I, I might have even knocked over that drop goal, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I couldn't believe they didn't go for it. There's no, you're not. It's not a. It's not the white flag, you know, being raised, going for a drop goal. It's about 
just getting back in the lead. Jeez, two, three, three points. Three points will win and as much as a try will win it in those circumstances. Yeah. What was the best one you ever hit? I actually hit one against um, my first one against, against Romania in the yeah. 99 World Cup when I came on at out half and we were 45 points up and um, like it was a ridiculous <laughs> thing to do. Um, but we'd, I'd been having a laugh with David Humphreys on the bench or in the stand about hitting a drop goal in the game. <laughs> And I, I hit it from a, just inside the 22 in front of the post and it nearly cleared the terrace um, um, in Lansdowne, the old Lansdowne. But that was, without a shadow of doubt, the best one, that the most flush one I've hit. I had five, I think, and none of them matched up to that one, that's for sure. <laughs> let's, hope, uh, let's hope Ireland don't need one this weekend. No, exactly, exactly. Well, do you know what? You take one if, if, if we're in the mix against France and, and it's a drop goal game, you take one in that, but hopefully not this weekend. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thanks a million, Brian. Appreciate Excellent. it. Cheers, Murray. All right, talk to you. Smashing stuff from Bod, as always. Thank you to Guinness for that one. Question from another, the 42 member, Quailon. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it could be Quailon, but I'm going with Quailon. Um, this kind of ties into something that, that Bod touched upon or alluded to when he was chatting about Sexton and the reliance upon him. What do Murray and Birch think of the playtime of Murray and Sexton for the Autumn Nations Cup? Should Andy Farrell try and bring in Marmion, uh, Gibson Park, Ross Byrne and Jack Carty to the starting 15 and give them the experience? And if so, how much? Also, how much change would they like to see to the Irish side? You can take for granted nearly that Ryan Baird and James Lowe will make their debuts post Six Nations and you have the four guys against Italy. But how much rotation would they like to see across the team in the Autumn Nations Cup. I'll start with yourself there, Bernard, beginning with the potential rotation of halfbacks throughout that tournament uh, across November. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's crucial, to be honest. Um, uh, both both Connor and, and Johnny want to you know keep playing for as long as they can, but um, they're on the other side of 30, and uh, well, I certainly wouldn't write them off, um, uh, but I think it's really important that we do look at our succession plan and and start to develop um, the next the next partnership or or one of one of a partnership. Uh, and the only way to do that is to give them game time and in against quality opposition with quality players around them. So I I'd be shocked if at the end if we're our first week in December, you know we're talking and looking back at at squad rotation and opportunities and time um match time given that if it wasn't spread out across you know a lot more players than we normally would in a in a, in a block of games so for, for sure for me it's really important that he tests both nines um who are back up and both tens murray uh it's a good point by quailon like you can nearly take it for granted that baird and low will feature they'll make debuts themselves in the autumn nations cup um and there are a few as he says uh in this game coming up against italy but uh, to put his question to you directly, how much rotation would you like to see across the team in the Autumn Nations Cup? Like, how experimental can Farrell conceivably be when there is still an onus on winning games? Like, you don't want to be playing England or whoever and getting battered either. Like, there's a, a fine line here. Yeah, uh, listen, I'd, I'd love to see lots of rotation. And by all accounts, coming out of Iron Camp, that's what they're looking at it as, particularly now that it's not going to matter for the the seeding for the World Cup pool draw, which would have been the case earlier on this year. You know, you were looking at November and thinking we have to get a good ranking, uh, whatever that may be. That's not the case now. And it's just a brilliant opportunity. The Autumn Nations Cup is a new competition, so there's not as much history there. You're 100% right. Like obviously going to Twickenham, you're going to name the absolutely strongest possible squad, but there's a Georgia fixture there. There's the Wales at home as well. And and even the playoff game, does it really matter as much? No, it doesn't, is, is a simple fact. If you're in with a chance of silverware, obviously you're going to try and take that because it gives you a bit of um, breathing room as a coaching staff and as a playing group, you, you want to win. But this is a brilliant opportunity to increase the depth, ask a few questions of senior players. And I massively hope that happens. You've mentioned a couple there. Shane Daly, like, why not get him a cap if he has, if he hasn't featured in the next couple of weeks? Um, even a few others who aren't in the squad, even someone like Harry Byrne, he's starting for Leinster tomorrow. Clearly, Andy Farrell views him as a, a long-term option at 10 for Ireland. Um, potentially get him in the mix uh, and really mix things up, definitely. I think we're going to see that happen. It would be a, a shock if we didn't. Murray, you were looking back at some of the earlier Six Nations games. We were chatting earlier on today and as you mentioned, they feel like they were... Uh, from yeah. a different year and early at this point given all that's come in the interim um, 
But we heard from Bod as to what he would like to see from Ireland tactically. Uh, and I might ask you guys as well what we'd like to see. But just to remind people of what we did see, Murray, and some of the areas of concern, actually, from those first three games back in the spring. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. As you say, it, it felt like so long ago. Um, and, you're, and you forget little bits and pieces of it. The Scotland game, they obviously got off to a winning start, but it was very close. And Stuart Hogg dropped the ball over the line. They had scrum and mall issues in that game. Um, and there were scrum issues and, and mall issues really throughout the, the three games. That is that is a concern given what we've seen obviously in the Saracens game pretty recently. That's a massive area for Ireland, that set piece, because if you can't get that launch, particularly for your attack, you're really going to struggle. Um, in the Scotland and Wales games, there were real signs of what this new coaching staff of Farrell and particularly Mike Cat on attack are trying to do. There was more wit in, in the game, more passing sequences, um, a new attacking shape where you know they've got one one three two two um, to just stretch the pitch and and try and pose a, a threat wider out and and strike a little bit wider out the pitch and that worked really well at times against Scotland and particularly against Wales. Um, but then we had obviously the the England game where this the first half was obviously disastrous. Um, a couple of errors for the England tries and, and Ireland just didn't recover mentally in that game. They kept compounding it. And then on the attacking front, they didn't get that launch off set piece, but they continued to try and force the ball to wit. Um, and it was interesting looking back at the stats. They only kicked the ball 17 times out of hand in that game, even though they had 20 minutes of their load of possession. Um, but they just seem to be slavishly sticking to this focus on trying to get the ball to the width. And you'll remember Maro Atoje swallowing up uh, people behind the gain line as they tried to play out the back. Um, so there were massive lessons in that in terms of bringing the kicking game, the attacking kicking game, um, and also not forcing things when they're, when they're not getting that gain line win off, off their set piece. So there was loads there. And I, I know for a fact they'll have dug into that in great depth over the last week. They got into camp earlier than they might have expected because obviously Leinster and Ulster were out of the Champions Cup and didn't feature there. So there was loads for them to to work on. And those games are really relevant. We know that with test coaches, it's based on on test rugby really. And even around the players and how they performed, they'll have looked at a lot of that as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, Bernard. How much of this is a clean break for Ireland in that there's been so much time uh, that has elapsed since uh, the, the Six Nations months and months ago? Or how much will those issues from those fixtures play on the mind of Farrell and some of the players, particularly the scrum, as Murray mentions, because we've seen very recent evidence of it, albeit a Leinster pack, not an Ireland pack, of uh, you know some of those figures really struggling in that area. Like, Do we have hang-ups coming into this uh, block of fixtures or can we kind of go in with a clean slate mentally? No, I think there is hang-ups and they haven't been helped by um, probably... The nature of Ulster and, and Leinster, um, you know, dropping out of Europe. Uh, I think there's a big question mark around our ability to to handle the teams who have a lot of power. And um, France, I just looked France of an Leinster team to play Wales uh, this weekend in a friendly, but um, it's a team full of power and 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 pace and quality. So we're going to get a real test next weekend. And I think, you know, I think there was a lot of learnings from from the England game and I definitely think that the length of time that they had to to dwell on that um you know will mean that they have taken lessons from it and, and I'm sure over the last two weeks in camp um you know they've spoken about that and, and looked at what they would need to do differently. Um we've seen Leinster you know come out of lockdown and, and have a um a different attitude to keeping ball in hand. Um it'll be interesting to see if that transfers into into the Irish camp. Um, in fairness, against England uh, in Twickenham, you know we were our Achilles heel was was up front, but and I made some poor errors in the backfield. But you know, it, it, as Murray said, it was that uh, ambition to stick to you know the attacking strategy, and and uh, even though obviously it it was so new to us, um, it was never really going to work against a team who had that you know aggressive rush defence. So. Um, I think there definitely will be learnings from it, and I also, and 100%, there's going to be that little doubt in our mind. No matter how good camp is this week um, or last week, um, there is going to be doubt in our mind around our ability to to win key games international level, just because we've lost so many over the last um, last while, last year and a half. And uh, until you start to get some of those wins, uh, it's very difficult to to bury those doubts. 
Murray, I have by dint of my question to Bernard there shrouded everybody with doubt and dread ahead of uh, <laughs> what was supposed to be a, an optimistic uh, a couple of uh, weeks of, of sport. But yeah. no, I mean, listen, I, but I don't disagree with any of it, any of it at the same time. Um, can I ask the same question to you and maybe add... How is this going to go over the next couple of weeks? I'll ask you again probably next week after we've seen the Italy game. But from this juncture looking forward, to your mind, like, are we utterly delusional to be half hoping for some kind of a, a shot at the championship? Um, what, what would be a success to your mind if, if you could sum it up that way? Yeah, listen, I'll be shocked if Ireland win the, the Six Nations. I think they'll lose away to France. As Bernard says, it's a really impressive France setup at the moment. And we saw how much momentum they generated in the in the new year. Um, obviously, I think they'll, they'll beat Italy and, and, and well. The exciting thing is that they're trying to do something different. And this is what everyone has been crying out for and um, hoping for. And, and they're trying to play with more wit. They're trying to be uh, a better passing team. They're trying to have this players make better decisions based on what's happening on the pitch rather than being really uh, slavish to a, a structure and a shape. Um, so so that is that is positive in terms of how the game's going as well. And and you've got to read how the game's going. It's it's even since the Six Nations, it's changed, obviously. We, we saw the breakdown um, in the restart, how, how many more jackal turnovers there are, how that area of it's changed, how hang on to possession at all times and at all costs doesn't always work because the Jackal, if they get into a decent position, get a quick tug on the ball, they're going to get that turnover. Now that's going to play to Ireland's strengths in, in many ways, as as we mentioned with the, the players they have in the pack. But you've got to be cognizant of that as well. And you would hope that the Ireland coaching staff have been really studying the game and, and how it's shaped, I suppose, over the last few months. There's reasons to be optimistic, certainly in that sense. Uh, they are missing a couple of key players, as, as we mentioned, um, and France and England won't have suddenly um, declined, I don't think, over over the period of the lockdown and, and ever since. They're still going to be the, the top dogs and the ones that Ireland and the rest of the pack are, are chasing. So, listen, I, I'd be surprised if they win away in, in Paris and oh, say away in Twickenham, um, but they should have enough quality, certainly, to, to win those home games um, and also to try and push forward that style of play and, and challenge players to make more of the decisions themselves and be less rigid to counter-attack a little bit more effectively um, and maybe excite fans in that ma- in that manner. Yeah, it's quite similar really, Bernard, to the situation in which the Irish football team finds themselves, uh, finds itself under Stephen Kenny. And I'd ask you a question specifically related to rugby, but that would also apply to that football team. How much should people dilute their expectations of immediate results in the hope for something better in the long term and and is it a case of just actually requiring patience it's probably a little bit more difficult to be patient in the sense that we haven't seen Ireland play in so long maybe we've half forgotten about how bad they were at times and how much they improved at other times in the last sort of um eight to ten months but do we need to just kind of see this play out over a longer period of time rather than demand immediate gratification? Yeah, I think we do need to be patient, particularly if um, there's going to be some some player development. And, uh, you know, the team we had in 2018 was very settled. There was a lot of experience. There was the age profile was probably bang on where you want to be for um, being at your uh, at, at your maximum ability. Whereas um, it does take what players a while to step up to international rugby. Um, it takes a while to build cohesion. It takes a while to implement a, a game plan. So we do need to be patient. And obviously the fragmented nature of, of what's happened, you know, it's obviously highly frustrating for, for Andy Farrell and his coaching staff and, and for the players. But the great thing is we've got a block now of, of of seven weeks with um six weeks of action and and um that's a great opportunity to to see how these players step up you know they've been good for the provinces how they step up to play uh international level how Mike Cat for example tries to uh change the way we attack um can we can we get our scrum sorted out um will our lineup produce quality ball without Devin Toner and there's you know there's a question mark around our defence as well. Um, our defence has been, I would say, uh, inconsistent over the last four or five years. Um, it's now Simon Easterby's responsibility along with the lineout. Um, will we see any big change there? And, and can defence become a weapon for us, or will we you know stay um, with a quite passive mindset? So um, 
yeah, there's there's so much to 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 build on, so much to uh, improve, and I think we need to be patient. But look at we should still expect to see some some good rugby, some some uh, some positive moments, some real individual performances as well while we're building. So that's the challenge. I mean, you know, we should beat the teams we're capable of be- beating, and if we can go to Paris and England uh, and beat them, well, I think then we've we've made a big stride forward. Uh, once again, as a perpetually disappointed optimist, I'm excited. Uh, Murray, thanks, Emil. <laughs> thanks, Gav. And thank you, Bernard, as well. We'll catch you guys next week. Murray, you'll be back on Monday with Owen Toolan, looking back at the Italy game, I presume? Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, should be plenty to dig into. Yeah, that will be for the 42 members, members.the42.ie. If you want to sign up there for extra podcasts, not only rugby-related podcasts, but all sorts of offerings from our colleagues at The 42. A reminder as well that Murray and I will be chatting to Ian Keatley, Neve Briggs and Andrew Trimble uh, 7 o'clock tonight, uh, Thursday that is. Uh, you can find details as to how to sign up and join us on that Zoom call on the 42.ie. And to everybody at home, thanks very much for listening. Thank you to all the 42 members for your questions and to everybody on Twitter as well who who sent their questions. Didn't get around to them all as usual, but uh, keep sending them and we'll get to you you eventually, no doubt about it. If you tune in regularly and you generally enjoy the show, would you mind rating us on your podcast app or even possibly leaving a review. I feel like dousing myself in petrol and swan diving onto an open flame grill for asking, but I think our last review was in like September 2019, which sort of shafts us algorithmically. So any help there would be greatly appreciated. Until Monday for the 42 members and until next Thursday uh, for non-members and for everybody, take care, enjoy the rugby over the weekend. Mind yourselves. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. Robby Robby Weekly. Little reverse pass.